listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, I think I've mentioned to you guys already, but here's the, here's the deal. I'm going to let you in on a little secret piece of my life. I, I don't know how to say this. <clears throat> I am a super Christmas nerd. Like, I love Christmas so much. Like, and by super, I mean like Christmas is kind of like my superpower. Like, uh, I, I make a joke every year that nobody thinks is funny but me, but that's okay because I think it's funny. I say, um, every year I say, uh, uh, I have Christmas elves living in my beard year round. Thank you. Finally, somebody thought it was funny. Awesome. No, I, it's it's kind of just a gross joke, but I like I don't know. But but seriously, there's something about this season that makes me just so happy. And obviously, it's so much more than just like the gifts, even though gifts are my love language or one of them. Uh, <laughs> um, it's uh, it's everything though. It's it's. Uh, it's the parties and the lights, it's the food and the friends, it's the ugly Christmas sweaters and the classic music. Like, I swear it's not Christmas until I've heard Bing Crosby and David Bowie do the little duet of the little drummer boy. Anybody ever heard that song before? Oh, so good. Um, but I think it's the traditions that I look forward to the most every year, like like, uh, if you've just joined the mission within the last year or recently, you may not know this, but we have a Christmas tradition here at the mission where after our Christmas Eve service, everybody who's available uh, goes to In-N-Out together. <laughs> and, and we've been doing this since the very, be- the very first Christmas Eve we held uh, a service here, which was actually a preview service before the church even launched. And and we always take a silly picture of everybody who's able to join, and I seriously look forward to that every year. And so if you're planning on coming to the Christmas Eve service, make sure you make plans to grab a double-double with us as well, because uh, it's a proven fact that double-doubles taste the best on Christmas Eve, right? <laughs> so um, when I was a kid, the waiting for Christmas Day was the worst part I mean, it was like we put the tree up, uh, you know, and start playing Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving. Presents start arriving under the tree shortly after that. Uh, Christmas cards start showing up in the mail, which is another one of my favorite parts of, of Christmas. And, and the stores get all decked out in Christmas colors. And we start singing Christmas hymns at church and talking about, you know, the baby Jesus and uh, but the wait for Christmas Day to arrive seemed like it took forever. Sandlot reference. Um, I remember as a kid the longing and almost desperation for the day to just be here already. Like, and, and, and now that I'm an adult, I realize how appropriate that is. The waiting is an enormously important part of the Christmas story. You probably know this already, but just in case you don't, um, the Bible is broken up into two sections called the Old and the New Testament. And the New Testament 
is the account of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection on the earth. It's also, the New Testament also gives us the stories of the first Christians and, and the first believers in Jesus and everything they went through. And, and so as you can tell, like obviously the New Testament holds vital teachings for us today as Christ followers. But the funny thing is, is the New Testament is the smaller of the two sections of the Bible, right? The Old Testament is a much, much larger section, and, and, and it contains throughout its many books the, the creation and, and the fall in, into sin of humanity, thus beginning our need for a Savior. And in book after book of the Old Testament, there is a palpable sense of anticipation for the Savior to come. The people of Israel were eagerly awaiting their Messiah like kids awaiting Christmas morning. But even in the waiting, even in the waiting, God has been revealing himself all along. Throughout the whole Old Testament, God has been giving us these glimpses of Jesus, who is his plan for the salvation of mankind our Savior, the one who would set things right again between us and God for good. But for thousands of years, the people of Israel were living their lives in the waiting. So much of life is lived in the waiting, right? Isn't it? And then out of nowhere, in what seemed like the most impossible timing, everything changes, and a baby is born. This long-awaited baby, which, one, which the, the one who God had said would come, the promised one. Sounds like a familiar Christmas story, right? But actually, this baby I'm speaking of has nothing to do with Christmas at all, because his name is Isaac. If anyone knew about living in the waiting, it was Isaac's father, Abraham. It was through the line of Abraham that God promised to bring forth his chosen people, the people of Israel. I actually spoke uh, not that long ago about Abraham in week one of a series called God-Sized Dreams. So if you want a more detailed account of God's journey with Abraham, I would recommend you go back and listen to that podcast. But the short version of the story is that at the age of 75 years old, God began to let Abraham in on this thing he wanted to do on the earth through him. This was before his name was Abraham. At this point, his name was Abram. So don't get confused because Abram and Abraham are the same person. Um, it is actually in the book of Genesis chapter 12 where God first promises Abraham that he's going to bless all the people of the earth through him and his offspring. Now, remember, Abraham's 75 years old at this point and doesn't have any kids. So this was probably a bit of a shock for him, right? <laughs> I remember the, the moment I found out I was going to be a father for the first time. And I was leading worship at a church in San Bernardino. 
And when I was finished, I came and sat down next to my wife, Kim, to listen to the message. And as soon as I sit down, Kim's like, I'm pregnant. (laughs) And I'm like, what? Like, right then and there in the middle of church, during the message, like, I wanted to jump up and do a cartwheel and shout wahoo from the top of a mountain, but I didn't have a mountain because I was in church. And, like... I I had to sit there and just squirm in my seat because, like, because I didn't want to disrupt the service, right? And, and, And so I will never, ever forget that moment. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. And, and here's Abraham being told by God at the age of 75, he's going to be a father. And, and, and I had, I had to wait nine months for my oldest son, Dylan, to be born, which seemed like an eternity. But poor Abraham had to wait a lot, a lot longer than that. And in fact, years and years go by without Sarah, his wife, becoming pregnant. And, but God continues to affirm his promise of children over the life of Abraham throughout the early chapters of Genesis. And, but, but even with those affirmations, Abraham finds himself stuck in what seems like endless waiting for God's promise to come to pass. Have you ever been there? Sarah and Abraham grow impatient. And trusting God to keep his promise becomes difficult for them. So, so along the way, they take matters into their own hands a few different times. And, and it only causes them more and more pain. But God is faithful to Abraham, even in his failings. And in a particularly beautiful moment in Genesis 15, God takes Abraham outside of his tent and, and says, not only am I, am I going to give you the son you've been longing for, but look up at the stars and count them if you can, because your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But even as beautiful as that moment is, it's followed by years and years of waiting. God first made his promise to Abraham when he was 75 years old and 25 years later for seemingly no rhyme or reason to us at the age of 100 years old, Abraham and Sarah are blessed with a son and they name him Isaac, the one God promised all those years ago. Abraham and Sarah had made some huge, huge mistakes along the way, but the Lord was faithful, and the day had finally arrived when they began to see God's promise taking shape in their lives. Can you imagine the love they felt for for Isaac after waiting for him for so long? I mean, I can't even explain the depths of the love I have for both of my boys. Like, they drive me crazy, but I, I, I like, have, like, a sincere, deep love for my boys. Like, they're both so different, and, and they each hold a unique place in my heart that feels like it was just meant solely for them. And if you're a parent, I'm sure you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. 
every once in a while I have nightmares about what it would be like to lose one of them and, and then have to continue living with the pain of only have, have had them in my life for such a short time. And every time these dreams come around, I wake up in a sweat. And it's so shaken and emotional and, and, and so thankful it was just a dream. And, and I go and I hold my babies tight. But I have extremely close friends that do have that pain as a part of their story. And I, and I can't even imagine the depths of what they go through but I don't, I don't think I could even come close to putting into words how precious my boys are to me. They, along with my wife, are everything to me. They bring the color into my life. Without them, my life would be a pale shade of gray. And I imagine that that's how Abraham felt about his son Isaac, especially after waiting for him for so long. But the tests of faith aren't over for Abraham. In fact, his most challenging test of faith is yet to come. God is is going to challenge Abraham to give back to him the very thing that Abraham holds most precious. Testing his faith and his willingness to be obedient. So we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 22 verse 1. I'm going to give you a second to get there. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. We're going to read kind of a long passage, 1 through 19, so bear with me as we read this. Um, But it's a great story, so really tune tune in on this. Um, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, Your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of, I should have looked up that before, Mora, there we go, just pronounce it with authority and then no one ever knows, Mora, (laughs) sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, which he had cut. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt uh, offering and placed it. On his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The father, the, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, because who else is God going to swear by, right? (laughs) I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together to Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So, what a crazy story, right? That is a crazy story. And, and, uh, and honestly, like, it's a little hard for me to read uh, as a father. It's, uh, I can't even imagine what must have been going through the mind of Isaac. Like, the poor guy's going to have some serious trust issues, right? Or may, maybe need some counseling or something. No, I'm just kidding. The, the Father God knew what he was doing all along. Like, right from the very first verse, it says that God is going to test Abraham. And I think it's important to take note that we know that because we have the Bible to tell us that, but Abraham didn't know that. As far as he was concerned, God was asking him to sacrifice his long-promised son, which sounds super cruel and unbelievably unjust, but God had walked with Abraham and Sarah through years and years on a faith-expanding journey of trust. And Sarah and Abraham had failed to trust God in the past, and it always led to more pain. And I believe that at this point in his life, Abraham was determined to be found faithful and obedient to God. And he had seen the disaster uh, uh, his unfaithfulness had caused in the past, and he was ready to fully trust the Lord, even with the thing he held most precious, even if he didn't understand And that's proven in verse 3 where it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Like, we see no hesitation in Abraham to follow the Lord's instructions. He didn't put it off. He didn't say, okay, but first let's have like a farewell uh, brunch for Isaac in the morning and then we'll go. No, he, he got up early the next morning. He cut the wood 
for the sacrifice. I can't even imagine cutting the wood knowing what it's about to be used for. In verse 4, it says, uh, in verse 4, it says that they traveled in the direction that God had told them for three days. Three days the whole time Abraham knows what he must do when he gets to the destination. And on the third day, off in the distance, Abraham sees the place. Verse 5 gives us some insight into what Abraham must have been feeling. It says, He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Not I will come back to you, but we will come back to you. This to me proves that Abraham is in an unshakable place with his trust in God. And Abraham's response to his son Isaac's question is even more proof of his trust in God and his belief that no matter the cost, his willingness to be obedient was crucial. And so in verses 6 through 8, It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham carried the fire in obedience, knowing what his obedience would cost him. Finally, Isaac starts to catch on that there's no animal for this sacrifice. And he says, "Uh, Dad... Um, I see the wood and the fire and, and the knife. That's a cool knife. And, you know, like, but aren't we forgetting something? Like, where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham's response is very telling of where his head is at. He said, God himself will provide the lamb for the offering. The time had come. Abraham and Isaac had reached their destination. So Abraham begins to build the altar. It wasn't good enough to just chop the wood or carry the fire. He had to build the altar for the offering too. And Abraham continues to show staggering faith in the Lord, taking his son, the son that God had promised them and they had waited so long for and ties him up to the altar. He laid Isaac on top of the wood. The wood that they had carried together. And Abraham takes the knife in his hand and raises it. And he must have shown no signs of hesitation because an angel of the Lord bursts out of the heavens and called Abraham Abraham, and he responded, here am I, as if to say, I'm right here where you asked me to be, Lord. I'm here, 
just as you asked. I'm holding nothing back from you, Lord. I have made mistakes in the past not being obedient to you, and I'm not willing to make that mistake again, even if it costs me the thing I hold most dear. And the angel said in verses 12 through 13, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He went over and took the ram. Oh, wait. Uh, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And this is where the story begins to take shape for us as readers. We realize what's going on here all along. Though Abraham doesn't know it, God is giving him a glimpse of what is to come. Only God will actually go through with it. If you're paying attention, there are literally glimpses of Jesus all over the story. In verse 2, when God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. God is giving Abraham a tiny taste of what he himself is going to have to do for the salvation of mankind. Abraham had to journey along with his son, knowing that the journey would lead to his death as God the Father was with Jesus every step of the way. This story even goes as far to say that they reached the destination of where the sacrifice was going to take place on the third day. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't something else important happen on the third day thousands of years ago? The ways that we can glimpse Jesus in this story are almost endless, but the most important to us is when God provides the ram for the offering instead of Isaac. This is an example of what Christian theology calls substitutionary atonement, which is easily explained. It sounds fancy, but it's easily explained. Just as you know, the word substitute means um, a replacement, like a substitute teacher is a fill-in teacher for the teacher who's supposed to be there, right? Um, so it, it, substitutionary means the same thing, substitute. And, and the word atonement means reconciliation. So substitutionary atonement means that someone else, a substitute, made the way for the reconciliation of another person. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? I, I don't believe you. A substitute made the way for reconciliation for another person. And just as the ram was provided for the offering in Isaac's place, the ram was the substitute. This is obviously pointing to what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sinful human nature deserved death because 
But because of the free gift of God, the substitute, Jesus Christ, died in our place, we now can be reconciled to God, our Heavenly Father, and because Jesus took our place and died on the cross for our sins, we now see the blessings of his obedience. Just as God told Abraham that because of his obedience, he would bless all the nations of the earth through him. Through the obedience of Jesus on the cross and the faithfulness of our loving God who never gave up on us, even after all the times we gave him reason to, all of mankind has been undeservingly blessed with the ability for reconciliation with God. I feel like obedience, as the worship team comes up, I feel like obedience is not the most flashy thing we talk about in church. Like, it's not a very sexy thing to write a message on, right? But, and, and even sometimes I feel like we look upon obedience as like a downer, like a bummer, like, oh, I have to be obedient. But there are blessings within obedience beyond your wildest dreams. I guarantee it. Do not miss out on the blessings of obedience. Even when it's difficult, and you don't fully understand why God is calling you to do it, even when it seems cruel, God is always working towards one goal. He was in the first book of the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, where we found these glimpses of Jesus in the story of Abraham and Isaac. He was moving towards one goal in the New Testament when he sent his only son, the son that he loved, to earth to be born of a virgin in a barn laid to sleep where animals fed. He was working towards one goal, when Jesus died on the cross and rose to life again on the third day. And he will be bringing that goal to completion on the day that the heavens burst open and King Jesus returns to the earth to claim his faithful and obedient ones. The goal has always been and will always be to restore his creation to his likeness the way he intended it from the beginning. While for us today, the weight of knowing who our Savior will be is over. We know who he is. Our obedient wait for his return is still going on. And we can eagerly await that day, the return of King Jesus. Just as the people of Israel waited year after year for their Savior to come. Just like children eagerly awaiting Christmas morning. So here's my question for you today. When the Lord calls, will you carry the fire? When it seems like it doesn't make sense, will you carry the fire? 
when the Lord calls. And it seems like against all odds. Will you be obedient? Let's just take a moment right now to pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is a light to our feet. We thank you for these moments where we see you at work in such a bigger picture, Lord. And if you were working this way with Abraham and Isaac and, and, and giving us a glimpse into what you had to go through, Father, we recognize that you are working in our, in, in our lives right now that you've never abandoned us, Lord. You are not a cruel God. You want us to have faith in you, Lord. You want us to listen to you because you are a good, good Father. And you love us. And Father, we are loved by you. So we hope against all odds, Lord. We trust against all odds, Lord. We have faith in you against all human knowledge. We love you, Lord. And as the ushers come forward and we receive our tithes and offering, Lord, we We just take a moment, Lord, and we survey everything that we have, Lord, and that there are churches on the other side of the world that are meeting in secret, Lord. They're clinging to pages of a Bible, Lord. And we just recognize how much we have, Lord. You've blessed us with abundance, God, and and as we give now, we give from what you've already given us, Lord. It's, it's already yours, Lord. We give it to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.